So, happy Father's Day, if you're a father. It's, uh, yeah, you can clap for dads. I always struggle with Father's Day and Mother's Day, and here's why. Because there are people in here who wanted to be a father that for whatever reason they couldn't. There's fathers in here who have lost a child. There's some of you that have lost your father, maybe in the last few months or the last few years, and it's still raw and painful. Those things are difficult. But I want to hear, tell you here today that God sees us in our pain, and he sees us in that brokenness, and he sees us in that place. And know that in spite of that, his love for you is unwavering. And so for those of you who are having a hard time today, I'm, I'm glad you came out. Um, for those of you who feel like you've been an inadequate father, I'm here to tell you none of us are perfect. I know I make it look easy, but it's because I had good kids and a really great wife. <laughs> um, I often say there was the early years and the latter years, and I tell my daughter all the time, I'm so sorry that you were our experiment, and then we got it right on the second kid. But I didn't know what I was doing. I was young and had no clue. And then I got a little older and realized I could be a whole lot more patient if I would just try. And so the first one was the experiment. And then six later, years later was the one that I got it right. Right, Dylan? Yep. All right. <laughs> so uh, anyway, for those of you who are struggling, I, I understand that. I do. Uh, some of you know Tracy and I, we lost a baby and... I've often said, you know, just, there's just times when I'm like, oh, just there's something missing. But I also know that God is there in our grief and in our pain. So if you're in struggling with Father's Day today, just know that God's there to meet you. If Father's Day is a great day for you and you get to pick your own, like, food and go to a ball game or something, yay you. I celebrate with you as well. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 6 in just a couple of minutes. But today... We're in the Ten Commandments, and it's uh, based out of Exodus. But I think most of you have probably read this along the way, but Exodus twenty sixteen is where we are today, and it says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So what does it mean to bear false witness? I'm going to give you a historical view and then a contextual view. So the historical view would be that it was specifically talking about in context of in court. Um, if you've ever been to court, you've seen how they, uh, you know, they call you up and you put your hand on the Bible and you testify. I've had to testify a couple of times in court. I've had to testify a couple of times in uh, like preliminary type of hearings. I've been called to jury duty, but they will never let me serve because as soon as they call me in, I'm like, yes, let's do this. Let's prove this person's guilty. And then they're like, what? I'm like, nothing. I didn't say anything. No, um, they, they always, as soon as they find out you're a pastor, they instantly, it's like the instant, if you ever want to find out how to get out of jury duty, go, I'm super religious and contemplating being a pastor. Next! <laughs> they can't get you out of there quick enough. Um, but it's basically, what does it mean to bear false witness? It means testifying falsely against somebody. There's been a situation, because remember, first four commandments are about how we relate to God, the next six are how we relate in community. So there's been some type of challenge, some type of situation in the, in the camp, in the village, because remember, they were a giant camp of thousands of people, and somebody's been accused of something, and somebody comes up and says, yes, they did it, or no, they didn't. But either you don't know what you're talking about, or you're lying. So it's when before a judge or a tribal elder, it really came, comes down to dignity and truth. 
Honesty and dignity. I want to give dignity to the person who's being tried, the person being accused, and I've got to tell the truth in order to give that dignity. The, um, the actual wording that's used here talks about if we're going to not bear false witness, we have to be people that can be trusted. That's uh, what the, if you go down to the core original writing, it's are you a person that can be trusted? So it's about trust as much as honesty. Can I be trusted that what I say is real? Because if I can't be trusted that what I say is real, then how could people ever come to me seeking truth? So, how does God view lying? If you've got your Bible, again, turn to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to read that real quick. And uh, I always feel like I have an advantage. I know where I'm going, so I put a bookmark there. All right. So here we go. Proverbs 6, starting at verse 16. It says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Interesting, two of them are about lying, and he puts it right in there with murder. God looks at these, and he repeats twice lying, and it's right next to murder. So if you're going, well, what's God's scale of sin? Pretty much lying and murder, same thing to him. Because if you're lying, you're really trying to accuse. You're trying to blame others. You're trying to do all these things that manipulate people. And again, all six of these commandments are about building trust within the community. Last week, the reason we don't steal is because how can I have trust in my community if people believe I'm a thief or if I am a thief? How can I have trust in my community if I'm not a person who's honest, who is responsible. So, how do we do this today? Most of us, for the most part, you know, you're not big liars. You don't go around, you know, just trying to convince people, swindle people out of their money. But we get drawn into this today because we think we have to make our coworker look bad. So we blame them when the project fails. Or we know that we shouldn't have done something but it was just a small thing. And then when we get caught, we begin to start with this small story and then it leads to bigger and bigger lies. We find ways to make ourselves look better and in the process, make somebody else look worse. And we do these things not because we're bad people, not because we're evil people, but because it's more convenient than accepting who I really am in my shortcomings and in my failures. It's more convenient to not do what I don't want to do and just say, well, this is what I've done and let other people wonder, well, where's the results then? Why is this this way? And so it's not that we set out to be dishonest people. Most of you don't set out to be that way. But it's because the repercussions or our fear or our anxiety, if the truth comes out, we're afraid we're going to look bad. We're afraid somebody's going to be upset with us or angry with us. One of the things that I've learned while working with the police department is when somebody's telling us their side of the story and they bring in a detective, they ask a bunch of questions 
And then they walk away. They go, oh, can you wait here? i got to talk to my partner. And they walk away. And then somebody else walks up to them and goes, hey, can you fill me in on what happened? And they tell the story to them. And they go, oh, hold on. They need me over here. I'll be right back. And they walk away. And the next person comes over. Hey, can you tell me what happened? Just so I'm caught up. And then these three or four people will walk over and say, here's what was said. If they have to call somebody in for questioning and they're sitting down in a room with them, they have them tell it from, tell me from the beginning what happened. And they may be jotting notes and then they get to the end and they go, oh wait, can you tell me that last part again? And what happened right before that? You know why? Because people can't lie backwards. I didn't know that. I learned that. People actually can't lie. They can't reconstruct a lie backwards. So details begin to change. And the things that come out that are consistent when they tell it forwards and backwards, we go, that's what the truth is. So when we lie, when we construct this, we start to put this thing together because maybe it's fear, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's whatever. But we've learned how to do this. And some of us, we live a lie. Some of it's a big lie. Some of it's a a small lie. You ever known that person? We had some friends who, they drove super nice cars and lived in this really big house. And I went to their house one time, and they lived in this city called La Jolla, which is a pretty nice area. And it was right next to where our church was. And I went to their house, and I walked in, and there's no furniture. This giant, massive, probably five, six million dollar home, and there is no furniture. And they've got $200,000, $250,000 worth of cars sitting in the driveway that are leased. Because they were living this story to let other people believe something that wasn't reality, because reality is hard sometimes. And we don't want people to think less of us. We don't want people to look down on us. But the truth is, they were living a lie. And when you live that, you have to just keep walking it out more and more and more. Now, again, I'm not against you having a nice house. Please, have a great house and invite me over. I love a good pool party. Let's have a barbecue. Let's hang out. But I want you to be real. I want you to be truthful. I want you to be who you are. And one of the hardest things or saddest things for me is when I get to know someone and I deal with them and I find out everything about them was fake because they think they've got to put something on for me. And I want to tell them, be real. Because when you're, when you're truthful, that truth is going to set you free. And those things that bind you up and those things that hold you back, I tell people all the time, you, now nobody wants to be around the person who's always grumpy. But you can be real in church. I say all the time, I don't want you to be fake here. I want you to be real. If you need prayer for something, be bold enough and honest enough to say, hey, the prayer team, when they're up here, would you guys pray for me? My marriage is struggling. Would you pray for me? I'm really in trouble at work. Would you pray for us? We're struggling in this area or that area. I'm sick. I'm, you know, I'm worn out. I'm whatever. But be real. Again, don't have to be grumpy. Don't have to freak people out. But let's learn to be a people that tell the truth. Because when we are, that allows us to come alongside of each other in community. When it says the truth will set you free, what that is, is that means that you and I can be free to walk out our faith without worrying about, what did I tell this person and what did I tell that person? Sometimes we're caught in this pattern and it's become our lifestyle and it's a lack of truth. And the reason we got into it is 
again, fear, anxiety, insecurity, jealousy. There's a lot of reasons that that became who we were. But the problem is, we no longer know the truth. And I don't mean you don't know any truth, but we no longer know the truth about what we are or who we are. We've gotten so used to lying that it becomes what we are. And I want to tell you today, you can be freed from that. If that's your pattern and your lifestyle and what you do, and you realize, that's me, I've just become a person who no longer can be trusted because I don't even know what the truth is because there have been so many lies on so many lies. I was just reading on the AP, I don't know if you guys ever read the news, um, but every now and then I'll just read the daily news and there was a, a firefighter down in Texas that was just arrested for having multiple families. He was married to multiple people. I was like, oh, that has to be hard to juggle two families. This man was married to five different women and had children with four of them. I was like, wow, I have a hard time remembering an anniversary, a birthday, (laughs) and a few other things. How do you remember all that? He had 17 children with four different wives and had a fifth wife. I was like, wow. Can you imagine just trying to get to all their sporting events? <laughs> and as they began to talk to him, as they began to unpack it all, he just said it started off as, my wife and I were having trouble, so I went and I found somebody else, and she didn't know I was married, so we got married. And then I got upset with her and then repeated the process. And then by wife number four, um, I just liked being married. And then since we couldn't have kids, I went and got wife number five. I was like, wait. So it's not the last one that he didn't have kids with. It was the fourth one. But the lie on top of lie on top of lie. You just wonder, what, what did you think was, how did you think in your mind, how was this going to play out to the end? Like, where was this going to, where was this going to become free? The problem is, that's what we do in our own lives too. We may not do it to that extreme, but we become people who we don't know the truth and so it just becomes easier to just continue the lie. The lie at work about what I'm doing, what I'm accomplishing, what I've done. The lie in your marriage about, oh no, we're good. And you lie to everybody else but you know that you go home at night and it's not good. We're not really going to do anything because if we go to counseling, somebody might find out there's a problem. And so we avoid doing the one thing that could help us get it back on track because we don't want people to find out the truth. I'm here to tell you, I'm a big believer in when your marriage is going the absolute best, go see a counselor because then you can tell people, our marriage is great. You know why it's great? We see a counselor. And then if there is a problem later and you go to a counselor, people won't think anything about it because they already know you do that. There you go. I've told many people when they're getting married you guys should go see a counselor in the next month. Why? Do you think we're going to have problems? Nope. shouldn't have any problems in the next month. If you do, you can deal with them. But if you don't, you can say, oh yeah, we do marriage counseling all the time. Set you up for good, good success later. But too often times we live the lie, we become the liar, instead of becoming the person that we're supposed to be in community, which is vulnerable and real. And we don't want anyone, and again, I'm not telling you, you have to share every detail of your life with some guy you're sitting next to that you don't even know. 
But if there's opportunity to live your story out in front of people and to not find your own truth, because there is truth and there is falsehood, but to share and express the truth of what's going on with us and who we are, then maybe God can take that brokenness and instead of me covering it up and learning to hide it better, God can take it and use it to bring life and hope to other people. Because oftentimes, he looks at us and he wants to use us to bring that hope and that life to the world. And for some reason, from the very beginning, with the exception of a few times where he used talking animals, God has chosen to use humans, which are just pretty much like talking animals. But God looks at you and he wants to use you, but you have to be living in truth and walking in truth in order for him to be able to use you to do what he's called you to do. Because when we build it on a stack of lives, when we build this life on a stack of lives, eventually it's all going to come crashing down. And I'm here to tell you, not in a condemning way, but in a life-giving way, you can turn that around and you can begin to become a person who brings hope to their community, who brings truth to the community, who brings life to the community by being a person who's known as an honest person. Because it tells us in Scripture, know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's not just a cute little proverb. Jesus is reality and he's going to set you free. A person who's honest can live with a clear conscience. It doesn't mean there's no consequences for earlier actions. I read another story recently about a gentleman who uh, came forward he actually told his daughter about 15 years ago that he'd killed somebody in a hit and run in 1968. And his daughter for 15 years had told him, you've got to confess. Now he's older, he's very ill, and he wants to clear his conscience. And they talked to him, and the judge basically looked and said, what you're going to do is going to jail is not going to do you any good. You're old and you're dying. But you are going to talk to that, that family, the two remaining living people in that family, and you're going to confess. And he went and he confessed because he, the judge ordered him to, and actually they forgive him. And they talked about how it tore their family apart to have their four-year-old killed. And it tore them apart that they didn't know what happened, they didn't know details, they didn't... So all these years of wondering... But they shared with him that there's hope. When we're able to realize and confess what we've done, there's hope for us. His truth, his lie actually, had eaten away at him. He had ulcers. He's dying of cancer. His life is a mess. He'd become a heavy drinker. And his daughter kept saying, just, you've got to be honest, you've got to confess. For 15 years, she told him to do this. And when he finally did, instantly the people offered him forgiveness. Something that he could have had 15 years ago. Probably could have had, he might have had consequences, there might have been a punishment, but he could have had this 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 50 years ago now. But he walked with something. Sometimes that's what we've done. God is calling us out to just admit and confess and become a person of honesty And again, it's not that it's not difficult. It's not that it's not painful. 
It's not that there's no consequences, but it can help us find the freedom that we're looking for. A lifestyle of honesty is critical if you want healthy relationships. Honesty leads to trust. When you know someone's a liar, you typically don't trust them. When you know somebody isn't truthful, and that's their pattern, it takes a long time to move beyond that. I've dealt over the years with a lot of people who struggled with addiction or alcoholism or whatever, and one of the, one of the ongoing things is when they learn to be truthful and they learn to be honest with themselves and with other people, it begins to change their patterns. But until they can do that, there's always a reason it's somebody else's fault for most of our things in life. This person bugs me, I'm under stress, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm frustrated, I'm bored. But when we begin to be honest with, I don't like this about myself, we can begin to find wholeness and peace within that. But we've got to be honest with ourselves and honest with others. A lifestyle of honesty is critical for healthy relationships. If you want to be in healthy relationships, you've got to know that you can trust the person you're with. Again, it takes work, it takes effort, especially if that trust has been broken. But I'm here to tell you, it's worth the time and effort and work it takes to recreate that. One of the things about the Ten Commandments is it's about community. And if you want to live in community with people on your left and your right, you need to learn to be honest with them and you need to learn to trust them. And I can't trust people that aren't honest. Don't be a people who aren't honest. Even if you feel like you can hide it, and some of you can hide it really well. But start being honest with yourself and honest with those around you because then God can use you to bring life and hope to others. Next week, James is going to finish up our series on the Ten Commandments, and then he's actually doing the last commandment, and I'm doing a follow-up on July 1st, kind of wrapping up the entire series. So I hope that you'll join us for that. Um, I'll be in Mexico next week with a team of 23 total people. But please don't say, oh, good, then I'm not going to come, because there will already be 23 of us gone, so we really need you to come out and, <laughs> and be here. Um, but I hope that you'll think about what I said. My, my goal for this entire series is that you understand this is about us becoming a community of believers that God created us to be. Not the biggest, not the perfect, not whatever, but about a group of people who, once we understand how we relate to God and how we relate to one another, we can begin to really love and express that to others in a real and positive way. Father God, I thank you for, just for your grace. I thank you for just your continued love for us. God, I pray that we would become a people who, even when it's difficult, will be a people that are honest, a people that can learn to just to just be real and vulnerable with people as well. God, I pray that we would become a people who are known by the fact that we tell the truth. We speak it in love, but we tell the truth. And God, let us become a community that people want to be a part, not because of what they get out of it, but because of how well we represent you. Let us be that people in your name. Amen. Um, there are certain things I love to do. You guys know that. I love to do baby dedications. I love to do baptisms. 
I'm willing to do funerals. I hate to do weddings. Oh, man. Here's why. Let me tell you why. You want to know why? Funerals, they're almost always permanent. I haven't had one person raised from the dead. Weddings, eh, I'm about 60% success rate. Doesn't matter how much I put into the premarital. That's about what we got. But funerals, haven't had anybody raised from the dead yet. Once I did it, it was done. Pretty successful there. I'm just, I'm being honest. I just said be honest. But I love doing graduations also. And the reason why is because I love to celebrate people. So if I could have all my 8th grade graduates come up. If you're finishing 8th grade, you know who you are. Tracy, can you bring me the stack of Bibles in? Come on up. Boom. All right. Um, Jan and Joel, would you come up and pray with us? And um, Ion and Tom, would you guys come up and pray? We're going to, here, scoot down. Lola, come all the way down here. Lydia, if you come down to here, we'll be about in the middle. All right. We're going to have, um, I'm going to have Tom and Ione and, and Joel and Jan. I was just glad with Joel and Jan, pray with us. Um, Jan is actually the middle school, Sunday school teacher. And so, woo! And Tom and I own, Tom's on our, our board, and, and the, uh, I own helps lead our prayer ministry. And so when we do times of prayer, we're gonna, I'm gonna introduce them first, and then we'll have one from each side, you guys decide who gets to pray out loud, and then we'll, uh, can, grab the mic, James, grab the mic, thanks. And, um, so we're just gonna pray for them. So, Lydia, Mariah, Gage, Katrina, Lola. All right, go ahead and hand that thing. So we're just going to pray for him, and then we have a gift for him. So if you guys could pray, and then I'll hand the mic over to that side. Go ahead. No, just for the group. Father, we just thank you for these young people that are making commitments to follow you. And thank you that they have been a light shining in their schools. Just ask your continued blessing upon them. Help them and draw them ever closer to you. Help them to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Bless them, Lord. Amen. Father in heaven, we just thank you for all that has been um, implanted into their hearts of you, Lord Jesus. We just invite the Holy Spirit to work in every detail of their lives from this moment forward. Lord, And we just ask that you would show them the inheritance that is waiting for them in your name. Lord, bless them daily, and may they just open their hearts to receive you on a daily basis, Lord, and recognize that every time you look upon them, you smile, that you are delighted by them, Lord, in your gracious name. Amen. Lydia, here you go. Mariah, if you want to trade with me afterwards, I don't know what colors they are. I'm just handing you off the stack here. (laughs) All right. Thank you, guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. Clap for them one more time. All right, if I could have my high school graduates come on up. Tracy, can you hand me that stack? Woo! We have one more high school graduate that's not here. Um, James and Michaela, why don't you guys come up? Can you make it up, Christine? All right. Christine and Joe, James and Michaela are our junior high and high school youth volunteers. And so they give up time every Sunday night to love and support the youth that we have. And um, so 
I wanted them to come up here. So this is Kendra. Kendra, where are you going? What are you doing next year? I'm going to Pacific Life Bible College in Canada. So she's going north. Haley? I'm going to Seattle Pacific. Seattle Pacific. So she's going north. I'm going to Highline. And she lives south of Highline, all going north. She does. She lives south of the college, so she's going north. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Michaela, would you actually pray for all the girls today? All right, thank you. Dear God, I thank you, um, firstly, just for the opportunity that we have all had to uh, meet these girls and have them just be an impact in our church in many different ways. And I thank you that you have um, brought them up here and that you have brought them up in courage and love and faithfulness and a place of so much forgiveness. Um, and I pray that they would take all that that they've learned and carry it with them as they are all going north. Um, to all the places that they go, I pray that they would walk in that and then just grow in it so much and that they would share that with all the people that they encounter and always know that they have a place to come back home where they're going to continue to experience that love. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I again want to thank um, all, the, all three of these, and Joe, who's probably still moving stuff up. <laughs> But our leaders that are so dedicated, and they're there each week for the kids, so go ahead and you can choose. And then you can argue with the person next to you if you didn't get the call you want. All right. All right, so we do have one other senior who was not able to be with us today. He was with his dad for Father's Day, and that's Ryan Kephart. So if you see Ryan here in the next couple of weeks... Tell them good job as well. If you see our seniors in the hallway afterwards, tell them way to go. Our only two college graduates are um, kids of people. Uh, Jared, Daber, Daber's, wow, double graduations. Good job. And uh, Addison Espeseth. So we had two college graduates that are kids out of our church, which is always exciting. And uh, if yours graduated college, it's your own fault for not telling me because we put it in the bulletin for four weeks that I wanted to know. Um, but seriously, if you see either Jared or Addie, just tell them good job as well. I don't know that you'll see them because they're both moving on and getting jobs and moving forward in life and other places. But if you see them, tell them good job. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being a part of our church. You matter greatly. Um, somebody asked, a couple of people actually asked last week if they didn't have their checkbook or whatever with them, could they still make a donation to Mexico this week? Yes, you can. Just on the memo line, right, Mexico, you can give the check directly to me or you can drop it in the uh, box in the lobby as long as you write on the memo line, Mexico. And uh, don't forget to pray for us as we're away next week because it's a, it's a big trip. Whether you realize it or not, I, it's not overwhelming. It's not anything that we can't handle. We've been training for months, but it's going to be 115 to 120 degrees, and they're out of their comfort zone, and many of them don't speak Spanish as well as I do, so they don't even know how to find things out. So anyway, please encourage them, pray for them, and uh, know that somewhere around the 15th we'll have a great recap slideshow so you can see what we did. Thanks. Have a great week. We'll see you next